Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook. Do get involved. We would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. It's Lockie in the chair uh, today for reasons which will become apparent immediately. We are very much in my lane. We're talking about sport, but it's that sport which features the toughest, uh, most intelligent, sophisticated, funniest, best looking uh, competitors. We are talking rugby union, uh, of course, but we're also drifting into the realms of 99 calls and the Everest speech. Uh, as well. Joining me are Chris Schumann and David McLennan. Uh, these gents have, well, this is not their first uh, bit of work that we're talking about today. Uh, they've uh, collaborated on a history of rugby at Newlands, uh, the big stadium in Cape Town, but there are other books that they've uh, worked on, including some great war stuff, which I'm really, really excited about, as you could expect. Uh, but we're talking about lions in Africa, the British and Irish lions and the hunt for the Springboks, which is the new book that they have coming out well, in this country later this month. How are you, gents? You well? I'm complaining. Oh, thank you. Good. All right. Well, how are you enjoying the tour that's on at the moment? We, we're, we're all excited. The final test is coming up. What do you reckon? Well, there have been, they've been two tours, the 1903 and the uh, 1910 tour, where they were level pegging after two. And then there was the deciding test. And in each case at, in Cape Town, um, if you're looking at history, I'm afraid the Springboks are going to win because that was what happened in those two cases. But uh, gosh, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a grinding series, I have to say. Very hard rugby. I don't know. I, who knows? There might even be a draw on Saturday, but it's certainly going to be a tough game. You in agreement, Chris? Yeah, uh, I see uh, that uh, Jonathan Davies, the, the former Walsh uh, fly-off, uh, <clears throat> he's uh, complaining about the, the type of rugby that they're playing. You know, it's, it's too, too dull. Um, and he's appealing to, to world rugby to change the laws, uh, to speed up the game, or to open it up more, you know, than... Uh, something different from what we've been seeing over the past two Saturdays. Um, you know, there was a, a lot of kicking, as you as you recall. Um, and uh, you know, just just thinking about what uh, 
the great Cliff Morgan said, you know, in, in 55, after that first test, which was uh, a, f a fantastic test, they still regarded this uh, the most spectacular, you know, ever played in South Africa. And they had something like 19,000 uh, spectators at Ellis Park. 90, 90. <laughs> what did I say? 19. <laughs> no, no, 19, 90, 19, some say, even say 96. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, it was a, a Cliff Morgan said, <clears throat> you know, to, I can just read it to you. To me, that game epitomized what rugby and the tour were about. Adventure, style, passing the ball and taking chances. And he was very much one for, for taking chances, for taking risks. And he said, you know, otherwise the game becomes poorer. And that is probably what we are seeing at the moment, you know, with with uh, with this uh, current series. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'd love to see a bit more creativity and, and invention. I don't I don't like to take away from the forward battle, battle at all. I'm a big second row uh, myself, and I think that's a big big part of the game, and and always has been. And and I guess that that kind of leads us into uh, the the book. I mean, tell us a little bit about it. What's its what's its purpose? Well, we, there hasn't been a book put together on all the Lions tours. Well, you know, initially they were obviously not called the Lions. They were just called British Isles teams. British Isles, yeah. And they were selected on a fairly sort of random basis. Certainly the 1891, uh, you know, members of the team tended to come from Oxford and Cambridge and sort of England. Uh, it was not as professional as it's done now, obviously. Um, but we thought that... You know, we would put it together when we started the process. Uh, you know, we were expecting thirty to forty thousand fans to come from England, well, from the British Isles to support the Lions, and of course, that's all gone by the board, which is incredibly disappointing. Um, and we thought, you know, that was the background. It was as simple as that. You know, that the individual tours have been mostly covered, or the, certainly the later ones. But nobody's really looked uh, individually at the early tours, so that was what I did. And then we put it all together to sort of to give a sort of potted history in a way, which is what we planned. Yeah, I think that's quite valuable because I think some of the, some of the kind of more recent South Africa tours, and, and probably from 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 seventy four onwards, yeah, I, I think fairly fresh in the mind, aren't they? And and for a, a lot of people, kind of. Um, Watching rugby nowadays, maybe maybe some of their earlier rugby memories. Me, for example, um, uh, some of my earliest rugby watching, getting excited memories were, were maybe the '97 um, Lions tour in South Africa. So Lions in South Africa is 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 huge for rugby fans um, here as well. Um, the 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 forward, I mean, the forward of your book, one of your forwards um, was written by Willie John. Uh, McBride as well, Lions legend, um, of course. And and one of the one of the points he makes in his forward is the kind of difficulty of leaving politics at the door, um, and and how much he kind of insisted on doing that because you, I think there's a feeling that people would like to leave politics behind when we come to sport, but that's rather difficult actually, in, in, especially to South Africa um, since the late 19th century, because it seems to be surrounded by that. Do you have any kind of problems sort of blending the two subjects, sport and politics together? Well, I, I think from, from my point of view, from the earlier point of view, you know, I, um, look, I, when I wrote the book, I didn't know 
what obviously Mr. McBride was going to write. Um, but I make the point, you know, even in 1896, when the British Isles team came out here, when they visited Pretoria, which was a country uh, that had basically gone to war with England in 1881, they'd fought a a full-scale war, and we're about to fight three years later, we'd fight another one. Well, let's, let's, Isles... let's, let's go into that a, a little bit then, because you, you yeah. got on, on that tour, some of the players uh, go off and visit Dorncott uh, as well, yeah. don't they? Which is, you know, w- w- the site where the, the Jameson raid came a cropper. And this is this is precursor to Second World, the big South Africa war um, stuff, uh, isn't it? So you got really quite significant political goings-on um, around there. How was, say, the, 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 the British Isles touring team visit to Dorncop seen um, at the time in South Africa? Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the fact was, <clears throat> at that time, rugby was largely dominated by English-speaking and people from England. So they had come out mainly to mine, either in Kimberley or in Johannesburg. Uh, but, there, you know, I make the point that it, even by 1896, you were beginning to get Afrikaans-speaking people playing rugby. Um, Kruger, President Kruger of the ZAO, was was in a, was an odd. He was an odd contrast. You know, he believed the world was flat. He believed he was a, a very conservative man, but at the same time, he was shrewd. He was very shrewd, and so he allowed them to a visit his country and play games in Johannesburg. He gave his permission. Um, I, I couldn't find any reaction, but, you, you know, it, it. we have an exact situation now. Our, our ex-president, Mr. Zuma, is in fact in, in jail in KwaZulu-Natal. One can only imagine if the present Lions visited him in jail. Yeah. I, I mean, Mr. Johnson in Parliament would have to ask answer questions. So the, the, I can't answer your question. I don't know. I suspect Mr. Kruger was probably pretty unhappy that they went to see the Raiders in prison in Pretoria before sure. they played the game there. Um, but at the same time, you know, Kruger was shrewd. He 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 allowed the Raiders to enter the the, the, the ZAR. He just watched them. He just lent, sent his commandos until they trapped them at, as you correctly say, Duncock, where there was a, a there was a, a loss of life and the the battle was over. It must have annoyed him. At the same time, you know, the First Boer War, which, as you again correctly say, was not nearly as intense as the bigger one in 1899-1902. But in 1880, Britain annexed the Zuid-Afrikaanse Republic. They sent troops from Durban. They marched into Pretoria. They took down the ZAR flag and raised the Union Jack. Uh, in retrospect, it's extraordinary that they could do that. I mean, it was a handful. It was a platoon of men. Mm-hmm. And they then controlled the Transvaal for about three years. And then that ended when the Battle of Majuba, when the Boers, um, you know, won the battle famously. You know, General Collie, who was killed on the summit of Majuba, was the first British general to die since Waterloo. There would not been another man of that rank killed. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a famous story in South Africa. You know, the Boers, it's on a Sunday, the Boers sing their, their psalms, the British hear them singing, they, they are down in the valley, and then they set off and they climb up the hill and they win the battle. So maybe Kruger felt 
how can I put it, that they put one over the British and so, well, they were welcome to come and have another try and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm always in danger of kind of derailing kind of uh, podcasts with talk about military history because that's, that's definitely my thing. Um, I, I, I kind of, I do love the link between uh, the... I guess the army and, and rugby at that time, because then you, you you sort of look at players from from those tours um, actually fighting in South Africa as well and, and becoming quite highly decorated. Uh, in fact, let's let's do something controversial. Let's talk about rugby uh, for uh, for a second and 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 the tours themselves. And I'm kind of drawn to those early um, tours. And we can talk about the, the later tours, and we, we certainly will do in just a, in, in a few moments. But um, what these schedules that these players played to were off the chain weren't they complete lunacy as far as uh, the number of games they would play and the frequency and the yeah. intensity uh, of them let's let's talk about that for a moment uh look they they learned their lessons i mean the first tour they bought 21 players um by 1910 i think they had uh 28 players but you know coming to our fields I mean, our fields now, we, you know, that you'll see on Saturday are nothing like they used to be. I mean, we there was no watering of the fields. So the fields were incredibly hard. And in Kimberley... Um, Kimberley was notorious, wasn't it? It was notorious. In fact, that. <laughs> yeah, after, after 1891, the British players shrewdly came and they actually wore a kind of a knee pad. Uh, and, but the descriptions are terrible. I mean... Some of the men were very badly cut around their faces. You know, they would be, if you think of what a, you know, how you get tackled in a modern game. Yeah. And one of the British journalists, uh, which I quote, um, said, you know, there were at least three blades of grass on the Kimberley pitch. Uh, and in, in a later tour, they, the, the British players dug up a, 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 a bloody boulder, or not, you know, a big rock. And the Griqualand West Rugby Union, which controls rugby in Kimberley, denied this strenuously. But I mean, it was absolutely true. I'm sure of it. Yeah. So the conditions were appalling. And they made the players. This is why it's interesting to me. You know, these this tour, Mr. Gatlin's tour, you know, seven matches. I mean, these guys were playing 20, 27, 28 games, 21 games whatever it was, and they were playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, and travelling between on a yeah, train. Yeah, no, that's it. And not just jumping on a plane to, to go to the next venue, were they? These slow-moving trains, which could take all day to do a couple of hundred kilometres. Yeah, that's and, interesting and what David... Were, sorry, Chris. Sorry, interesting what David said. You know, that 1891 tour, they only had 21 players, you know, no bomb squads, you know, like you, like you have today, you know, how did they, how did they get by? It's amazing. Yeah, you, your star player gets crocked in game one and all of a sudden you're down to 20 and, and things look tough and tight. And yeah. No, I you think, think of... You couldn't replace players, so if you were injured, which, you know, happened... Um, and then the other thing that the South Africans did, and I mean, by 1938, the last tour that I wrote about, I mean, we'd honed it to a really, I mean, Steve Lewis, who's written the definitive book on the 1938 tour, he, he drew a graph about, you know, how they traveled. So we sent them from the coast to the high field, back down to the coast, back up to the high field. 
We sent them to the desert, to Kimberley, where they played on gravel. Then you would go back down to Durban, where it's tropical. Then you would go up to the high. I mean, it, they, South African authorities made it as, as hard as possible. And it's interesting to me because in the 2009 tour, there was evidently a lot of negotiations. It wasn't just about whether the, you know, in, in the press it was, oh, you know, the, 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 tour, the people who are following the tour want to go to Cape Town. You know, the, it, was, it was all around how many games you play on the coast where the fields are softer and how many games you play on the high field in Bloemfontein or in Ellis Park where it's very high. And obviously from the Siberian point of view, we want to play on the high field. From the Lions point of view, they want to play in Durban, Port Elizabeth or Cape Town. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's anything in the kind of venue choices for for, for later tours because we're well. This one, this final game's in Johannesburg, isn't it? The... No, no, it's in. They all three have been in. They're, Cape all, in Cape oh, they're all in Cape Town. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, still, yeah. No, the the kind of moving around makes it difficult to acclimatize. Um, it's. Do you have? Do you like have a, a favorite tour that you like to refer to? Either of you, I'll, I'll, do you a favourite kind of um, one particular? <laughs> well, <laughs> you want to start, David, or shall I go? I'll, I'll start briefly. I, yeah. you know, look from my series, my section as a South African, the, the 1903 tour where Mark Morrison, who was a Scot, led the tour. Yeah. Um, you know, we won. Uh, the first two games were draws, and the third game. Uh, South Africa won, and that was the first series. You know, we'd lost in 1891, we'd lost in 1896. And that series is famous from our point of view because we were not defeated again in a series uh, until 1956 in New Zealand. So that sort of started our, our, so I would say that is from a Siberian point of view, a celebrated tour. And my last tour that I wrote about the 1938 tour uh, was a fantastic tour. Sam Walker was the captain. Donnie Craven was the South African captain. South Africa won it 2-1. Uh, they won the first two tests. And the third test was played at Newlands. And it was, I mean, Chris has talked about the 55 test. The, the 30, 1938, the third test new was a fantastic test. The Lions won. But they, you know, my all the reports about the game, the last 20 minutes, the entire crowd were on their feet. And in the final moments, the Lions, led by a guy who would later get four DSOs in the war, Paddy Main, who was extracted from jail by David Sterling to start the SAS, he leads the charge. And they charge downfield, the forwards, brushing the South Africans aside. They score the try. They win the game. And the South African, the Springbok forwards, Lucas uh, Strachan and Ben Dutoy, put Sam Walker on, on, on their shoulders and carry him off the field in front of the stand in, in, the, in the stadium. And the Newlands crowd cheer the Lions to the echo. And, uh -huh. you know, it's the, it, it's a, and, and then later it appears evidently at halftime that some of the Springboks said to Donnie Craven, listen, we've got this game. We, we are ahead. They were ahead at halftime. Let's just play conservatively. And it relates to what we've just been talking about in this tour. Donnie Craven says, uh-uh, we don't play rugby like that. 
we're gonna we're gonna play open rugby. So they play open rugby, and they lose. And Craven tells Walker afterwards. He says, "You guys beat us fair and square. It was a great, it was a great game." So that would be my two choices. Oh, I must say I uh, really enjoyed working on the 1955 tour. Uh, a lot of a lot of the the material I got from. Uh, Cliff Morgan's autobiography, and then also Tony O'Reilly's. Um, Cliff, Cliff Morgan, he's he's most famous to us for his commentary in the '73 Barbarians, I think, isn't he? The that fellow yes. Edwards. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's right, Joe. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was a he was a big BBC man. I think he also he was in charge of the you know directing the the the, uh, the wedding of uh, Princess Di and them. I think he was in charge of the of the broadcast there, um, so he was um, he was quite popular in, in Britain. But uh, anyway, the um, the fifty five Lions they were the, interestingly enough they were the first British Lions team to travel by plane to Africa. The others is they were uh, wrote there. they came by boat. Um, you know, it, it took them a long time to get here and then back, of course, and then spend another three months, uh, you know, on tour. Um, but uh, anyway, they they were known, they were a very popular side in, in South Africa because of the exciting rugby that they played. You know, they had wonderful backs like said Cliff Morgan, uh, Jeff Butterf- uh, Butterfield, the England centre, uh, Tony O'Reilly. He scored 16 tries in, in just 15 matches. So he was he was one of the heroes of the tour, and then uh, the scrum of Dickie Jeeps. You know he was um, he, he came uh, to South Africa as an uncapped international uh, uh, or international uncapped player, but he played in all the tests. You know he just adjusted so well, so he became the number one uh, scrum off in, in in the touring side. Yeah, and then, a uh, legend. Yeah, and they, they had a good pack of forwards, you know, guys like, like Bryn Meredith and Clem Thomas and uh, Rhys Williams, that big lock. Um, and, um, you know, so, so they were an exciting team, you know, and uh, they, that, uh, they, they played themselves into the heart of the South African public. And the other thing that was that uh, before the tour, Cliff Morgan said they decided they were going to be a singing team. You know, coming from Cliff Morgan, you can understand that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, so they practiced a lot before they left Britain, you know, and the the repertoire even included Sari Marais, you know, the the well known Afrikaans song. And when they got to Jan Smuts, which is now Oliver Tambo Airport, when they got there, you know, they they uh, there were lots, there were thousands of people, you know, welcoming them. And they, they sang Sari Marais, you know, and immediately they got into the hearts of the South African public. And then with a with a, with a game they played even more so. Um, you know, they, they won the first test, uh, lost the second one. We've spoken about the first test, how exciting that was, how spectacular. They lost the second test and they won the third test and then they lost the fourth test again. So if it had been... a Three-test series, they would have won the series, you know, yeah. if, you, if you think of This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. 
Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Got it. Um, and uh, anyway, they, um, well, like I said, you know, the, the, the attitude coming from Club Morgan saying, you know, you have to take chances, you have to take risks. And something else that I remember that he said was that, um, you know, if there's, if there's brilliance, you can, even when there's brilliance, you can defend against it. But where there's mystery, you can't. And that is, that is you know, that's stuck in my head, you know, it's been stuck in my head for, for, for many years now. And uh, like we said, that is what what is missing in today's game. You know, there's there's no um, there, there's no enterprise, there's no mystery there. A few unknown quantities. Oh, there may be a, a couple in the Lions squad, but I don't think they get picked. It seems very safe uh, there. Anyway, I mean that's a that's a charm offensive, isn't it? That's that's wonderful winning over of the of the public. Um, <laughs> maybe we associate rugby in South Africa with a different kind of offensiveness um, at times and physicality uh, is a big part of, of rugby out there. I mean, kind of borderline legal physicality. Um, and if you come off second best in that kind of upfront clash, then you, 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 you come off second best uh, quite simply. Has it, has it always been like that? Is, it, is, is, is there any point where rugby in South Africa hasn't been about, hasn't had that element to it? I would say, you know, looking back, um, it's always been like that. Um, if you, you know, if you think of the the 62 lines who came here, the 68 lines, uh, both those coaches, you know, they, uh, they they picked heavy forwards because they wanted to counter the physicality. And that's where they made the mistake, you know, because the South African loose forwards in 62, you had a, a fantastic number eight uh, called Doug Hobwood, Um was very fast, you know, very skilled. Uh, we haven't seen, you know, someone like him for for for, for many a year. Uh, so they, you know, they, they couldn't keep up the, the heavy forwards of the British pack. They couldn't keep up with the South African forwards, especially, you know, the uh, the loose field. Um, and uh, the, the scores were, you know, quite close. You know, you would... Uh, you had uh, in 62, 68, you had you had a draw. Uh, you had three points of difference here, five points difference there. It was only in 62 in the last test, you know, where there was a big margin, but but it's been it's been fairly close. But that uh, uh, that, that physicality, it's always been there. And in in 74, that this obviously uh, that was my other favorite team, Willie John and those guys. Um, you know they when uh, 
they, they played New Zealand in New Zealand in 71 and they, they beat them there. So they came to South Africa with, with quite a reputation. Um, and uh, Willie John said, you know, like he said in his foreword, we decided that, you know, this time we're not going to be intimidated physically. And they had the, the pack of forwards to, to counter the box, uh, you know, actually to dominate them. And they had fantastic uh, backs as well. You know, if you, if you look at uh, Gareth Edwards, you know, Phil Bennett and, the, you know, J.P.R. Williams, and the list just goes on and on. They were, you know, absolute legends, all-time legends, you know, of, of, of world rugby. So um, we, we, I don't think we, we ever had the players to, uh, to beat them. Uh, the, uh, the selectors, you know, they were falling around. After the first test, you know, that New Zealand, uh, that uh, the Lions won 12-3 at Newlands in the wet, which obviously suited them. Um, you know, they went on to, to win the next two games by big margins. You know, in fact, the second test at Loftus was the biggest hiding a Springbok team ever got. But uh, in his own, they, they returned uh, to, uh, to Britain um, unbeaten. Uh, but the big thing was, uh, it was it was notorious for the 99 call. And Willie John, did, uh, he said, you know, they, they decided that uh, this time they're not going to be intimidated. And that's where they came up with this 99 call, you know, where uh, if things got rough and they... Uh, they 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 needed to to defend themselves or to uh, you know gain the upper hand physically. Uh, they would just call ninety nine and it would be a free for all, you know, all for one, one for all. And uh, yeah, the, the like principle in, being that the ref can't send everyone off, can he? Yeah, so they, yeah, we, that, that's we, great. We, and in the third test the, in Port Elizabeth, you know, they had that uh, what they called the Battle of Butirasmus. Uh, Butirasmus was the name of the stadium. And, you know, everybody just piled in and you had a situation where uh, J.P.R. Williams was, was running from fullback, you know, and he was tearing half the, the length of pitch to clock yeah, the second and, row, and didn't it? Make, <laughs> mix it with the forwards, you know. It's, it was... In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think they'd had a, they'd had a sending off in the previous series where I think a, a, a single Welsh player had thrown a punch, been seen, and had a and had a red card shown to him. Uh, so yeah, John O'Shea part, was. Uh... That's oh, that's right. Yeah, and so you know you, you combat that by piling in, and that's I think that's been a, a sort of staple rule for amateur rugby clubs since then. Uh, almost don't don't be the one person who who throws a punch. Everyone pile in if, you, if you're all going to do it. I, of course, don't recommend it at all, by the way, if my uh, coaches or referees are listening. Um, but, yeah, that's the, the impact of that was great, wasn't it? I mean, that, that tour is, again, we sort of want to, do we want to drift into more kind of political controversy? Maybe. There was, there was an argument as to whether that tour would, would even go ahead. I think there were politicians certainly here um, who would rather the Lions had not gone to South Africa. 
1974 with the regime and apartheid going on. Could, could anyone other than Willie John have led them, do you think, with his kind of own personal experience? What was, what was his kind of role as a leader there? Look, he was, you know, if, if you can, if you think about it, he was, as they still call him, you know, he was a line of all lines. He was, a, he toured in 62, he toured in 68, and, you know, 71 and, and 74. You know, he was, uh, he's established himself uh, like Alan Wynne Jones now, you know, he's, he's, he's just way above the rest of, of any leaders in, in, in the lines uh, set up. Um, but uh, he, he said, you know, he, he was, he himself wasn't going to make any difference whether they go or not. They had their troubles in Ireland at the time. And he said, uh, you know, he, there was nothing he could do about the troubles in Ireland, you know. Um, and obviously, Peter Hain at the time, you know, that 69, 70 um, uh, tour, you know, led by David de Villiers, you know, those demonstrations there. Um, that uh, that was something terrible, you know, and and they were probably afraid of, of something like that happening. Uh, and the in fact the, the British government they sort of distanced themselves from from this tour. Uh, and so if I remember correctly, they didn't they instructed the embassy in South Africa not to entertain the lines while they were on tour in South Africa. Uh, but when they when they got back to to Heathrow, you know, everybody was there, including government officials to, to welcome them back because, you know, they, uh, this, this was uh, quite a historical tour, you know, coming back unbeaten. And everybody wanted to be friends with the lions. I suppose we've but, had something similar Hain, with that. Peter Hain, of course, you know, he said he didn't he didn't agree with with Willie John, uh, um, you know, for for the lines coming uh, coming here, and as you remember, John Taylor, the, the flanker, he toured in in '68 with the lines in South Africa, and but uh, he didn't want to make himself available in '74. Then he uh, changed his tune quite a bit. Yeah, but, I suppose it's good. Sorry, Andy. You know, I was just going to say there's a there's a there's a contradiction that you know apartheid was became formalized when the National Party came to power in 1948, uh, and so it takes time to in 1955 there there are no protests, but by um, you know into the 60s and and certainly by the 70s when the All Blacks came here in 1970 and in 76 there were huge protests, the rugby served as a kind of uh, window to allow that there were protests in Cape Town when the All Blacks played here, there were protests elsewhere. And the interesting thing about the 74 lines is, of course, that the people watching in England might not have known before, but a large percentage of South Africans, people of colour, hugely supported them. So when the Lions scored a try at Newlands or won the game, a considerable percentage of the pop, of the, those present were were delighted because they viewed it as an anti-apartheid act in a sense. So I think that was you know that that is where this this kind of contradiction comes in, and I suspect that as the tour went 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 along, more and more people began to realise how complicated South Africa 
was is at the time. Yeah, I suppose yeah. You, you're bolting together a, a number of countries really to to create a unified South Africa, aren't you? And yeah, that that has been that way for for some time. Um, yeah, started yeah, in nineteen. Sorry, yeah, David. No, no, you carry on. Now, it's interesting, you know, we were talking about 1971 when uh, when the Lions <clears throat> toured in New Zealand. Uh, South Africa was then touring Australia, you know, and they, they also came back unbeaten. Uh, but there were huge demonstrations. So, uh, you know, the, the, the players, the British Lions players, they must have been very well aware of... Uh, of, you know, of the, the implications playing a team like South Africa, you know, looking at what's, what's been happening in Australia with the demonstrations at the time uh, when they were touring uh, New Zealand. Um, so they, they, they did come here, you know, uh, fully knowing what, what, what to expect, uh, you know, what, uh, what the, the background was, to, the political background was. But at least they were coming to South Africa, you know, and, and, and Springboks weren't going to uh, to Britain in in, in seventy four. Sure, yeah, and then and then you kind of fast forward to um, we, we sort of skip a few years, but 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 drift up to ninety seven um, and the kind of post apartheid area, but uh, but also post World Cup um, as well, post World Cup triumph. Um, is there a kind of lightning of the mood in, in the 97 tour at least? Or is it just still focused and we're the world champions and we've got that reputation to defend now? Yeah, it was, it was um, you know, they were, they were still the, uh, the world champions, uh, you know, at, at the time. And, uh, you know, Gary Teichmann, the, the Springbok captain then, um, was taken over from, from François Pinard. He admitted, you know, he said, <clears throat> we we just thought there was no ways these guys were going to beat us. They were so confident and, and all of that, you know. So when they lost the first test in, you know, at, at Newlands, um, you, you know, they were they were they were totally shocked. You know, it was against all expectations, but they were um, they they were well beaten. You know the the, the way the uh, the Lions swung the game towards the end. You know the tries they scored, um, and then they lost the second uh, test uh, with with Jeremy Guscott's uh, famous drop goal. It was just by a point or so, but but uh, but they lost the series right there. And uh, Tyron said, they, you know, he was devastated. He said he couldn't believe it. You know, and uh, they the, the ninety seven Lions will always be remembered. For making the uh, the most uh, with the players they had, they came here not you know not with with huge reputations like like the seventy four Lions and so on. Um, they had some 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 good some brilliant individuals, but you know as a team they weren't seen as a team who could topple the Springboks. You know, especially after you know being uh, being the world champions, uh, but uh, <clears throat> nevertheless they did. But what is interesting about that 97 uh, crowd was that uh, they brought some uh, players, uh, former rugby league players, uh, about five or six of them, you know, guys like you know, Cornell and then Scott Gibbs, Scott Gibbs uh, Bentley, uh, Alan yeah. Tate, you know, and, and those guys. Uh, and, and 
they were supposed to instill a different kind of discipline into the squad, and which, which actually happened. So there they were different from, from, from previous squads, you know, and it, it obviously it seemed to have worked, you know, and won the series. Yeah, it's that, that kind of image of Scott Gibbs sort of rolling and bouncing off Oz Durant. Oz Durant, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, that was quite something. Yeah, and that kind of, that tour just had the last little feel of amateurism. Uh, about it you know we, we've, we've seen the kind of court scenes with Keith Wood uh, with, the, with the wig on acting as judge um, and it, it's, it kind of has that last little feel of proper amateurism uh, about it and I think that's the, what the, the chapter title is uh, in your book Last Hurrah of Amateurism but it was it had that kind of fun feel to it uh, as well and it's all a bit professional uh, nowadays but that's that's fine too. No, I, you know, I, your question is a, is a perceptive one. And, you know, Chris and I have written two other books, about one about Newlands, one about Ellis Park. And we, with the team photos, it's interesting because in the 1890s and the early 1900s, the photos are very correct. The teams are Victorian almost, you know, they very. And then we deliberately in our book on Newlands, we put in the photos of the 55 Lions and the 55 Springbok. It's really interesting they're on a roof of a building and Table Mountain is behind them and the guys are laughing. A lot of them are smiling. That You can see they, you know, the Springbok side was was meant to be in a very happy side and I think the Lions were, there's, there's sort of a an exuberance about it. And then especially on the South African side, as, as rugby becomes more politicized and the winning of games becomes in a sense for the Springboks a defense of apartheid, the teams become more glowering, you know, and by the by the 80s, you know, the, the, there's not a smile on the face. And we, you know, we remark upon that. And then again, I think you are right. I think there's a, in 97, it's a, in a sense, it's a, it's a happier time. And it, you know, what we talked about at the beginning of this interview, the reaction now to, you know, what's going on, the type of rugby that's played, you know, this, it seems to be there's too much professionalism in a sense. I, I, that's putting it poorly, but uh, I mean, it's Graham Henry in New Zealand is interesting. They asked him his opinion, and he said, "Listen, because of the history of Alliance Tour, it's become so huge that the winning and the losing of it is so important that you can't actually play the rugby you want to." And in a sense, we are hoist with our own petard. You know, we. Put, and our book is kind of part of that. You know, we, we're putting forward this pedestal, this, this history dating from 1891. The first international played in the Southern Hemisphere was played at Newlands in, in 1891. And here we are 130 years later. And it's a huge history. And I, in a sense, I think it makes, it doesn't make for good rugby. Yeah, no, it, it does seem very focused on numbers and, and percentages and what's your tackle percentage and how, yeah, it's, um, you, you just want a, a spark to come in uh, at some point and you, you think it could do a job. But um, listen, as, as far as kind of the book goes, there's some, there's some things that I really, really like about it. Um, I think I really like the way you kind of zoom in and zoom out on certain things. You know, for example, um, in the early days, uh, the fact that the players went off and, and did a tour of Majuba. Um, for example, you, you, you then kind of open that up into a little section which explains the significance of it and a bit of the a political 
backdrop, which I think is really, really helpful. Um, actually, there's certain individuals, uh, and this rumbles all the way through to the kind of modern era, like Brian O'Driscoll, like key figures, key players uh, that you, you zoom in uh, on as well. As far as kind of writing the book as a, as a duo goes, do you, do you have kind of clearly delineated spheres of, of interest so there's no kind of clash or crossover um and and do you enjoy working as a pair it's clearly not the first time you've done it <laughs> i'll go first but yeah we've written, this is our this is our third book together you know but rugby kind of in a way lends it i mean chris i'm sort of i studied history at uct at the university of cape town chris was a, a journalist and, you know, when he writes about the later games, I mean, he was there, you know, he, he attended the press conferences and, uh, you know, I'm amazingly impressed with Chris's list of contacts. He knows a lot of people in rugby. So the division is quite easy, really. I do the earlier things. I did that in the Newlands book and the Ellis Park book and Chris does the later ones. So from that point of view, um, it's easy. <laughs> and Chris is an easy person to work with. Chris, you got something to add to that? All yeah, no, uh, no, it, it's, uh, you know, it was uh, this uh, this whole book was uh, was actually David's idea, and <clears throat> you know, with with the with the lines to it uh, coming up, uh, I fully agreed with him. You know that it, uh, it, it it's a it's a good concept, and we submitted it uh, to Amberley uh, Publishers and. Uh, they they came back, you know. They gave us the, the green light to to carry on with this book, uh, which was which was great. And uh, it, it's it's really easy to to work with with David. He's a very conscientious researcher. He's uh, you know he's very professional. Uh, he worked in the archives for a long time, so he knows he knows his way around the uh, around the archives, and uh, you know finding stuff in newspapers and wherever. You know, so it's it, it's really easy to uh, to work with him, and we've uh, we've been through through two books, the one on Newlands and the one on Ellis Park before. So uh, you know, this this was really not uh, not difficult at all. Well, in that case, gents, I'll I'll. I'll... Put out my own personal recommendation for the book. I've enjoyed reading it. Everyone knows what I like by now. If, you, if you're a regular listener, I like my, my First World War stuff. I like my rugby stuff. This covers conflict, political, and rugby in depth. Uh, the narratives on the games are all really sound and illuminating. There's loads of detail on the individuals uh, involved as well. And it's a really very readable and enjoyable thing. So... Thank you, Chris Schumann and David McLennan. It's been really, really lovely uh, having you on. Um, best of luck for Saturday. <laughs> not, not too much, uh, maybe. Um, but, but thank you, thank you, thank you uh, very much for coming on. Uh, and I hope to see you back on shelves very, very soon. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. When our guests join us to talk about their work in their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. 
Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great book. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.